0: The and so test. When you ask and so, you're testing for story relevance. What does this piece of information tell us What we that we need to know? What's the point? How does it further the story? What consequences does it lead to? If you can answer these questions, great. But often the answer is, oh, it doesn't. For instance, imagine if it's a wonderful life. If in It's a Wonderful Life there was suddenly a scene which George Bailey learns to fish fly, fly fish, you'd scratch your head thinking, and I need to know that why? Perhaps you'd even wonder if it was meant as a metaphor. Something about the old, teach a man to fish and he can feed himself forever. Parable, maybe? And while you debate this, chances are you'd miss the bit where Uncle Billy absently wraps the eight grand in his newspaper and accidentally tosses it onto Potter's lap. So, for a long time after that, nothing would make sense. Thus, even though George might have had a great time fly fishing, we do not need to know about it. The fly fishing scene fails the and so test, which is no doubt why Frank Capra wisely kept it to himself. What about your story? Does it sometimes toddle off on interesting yet irrelevant directions, likely to thwart the reader's hardwired need to sense, if not see, the causal connections? Why not break out the red pen and have at it? Don't be shy. You might want to keep Samuel Johnson's advice to writers tucked in the back of your mind as you slash and burn. Quote, read over your compositions and wherever you meet with a passage which you think is particularly fine, strike it out. Unquote. Chapter 8 Checkpoint Does your story follow a cause and effect trajectory beginning on page one, so that each scene is triggered by the one that preceded it? It's like setting up a line of dominoes. You tap that first one, and they all fall in perfect order as each scene puts the decision made in the prior scene to the test. Does everything in your story's cause and effect trajectory revolve around the protagonist's quest? The story question if it doesn't, get rid of it. It's that easy. Are your story's external events, the plot, spurred by the protagonist's evolving internal cause and effect trajectory? We don't care about a hurricane a stock market crash, or aliens taking over planet Earth, unless it somehow directly affects your protagonist's quest. When your protagonist makes a decision, is it always clear how she arrived at it, especially when she's changing her mind about something? Don't forget, just because you know what your protagonist is thinking doesn't mean your readers will does each scene follow the action reaction decision pattern it's like the one two three of a waltz get that rhythm stuck in your head action reaction decision and then use it to build momentum can you answer the and so to everything in the story ask this question relentlessly like a four-year-old and the minute you can't answer Know that you're likely in the company of a darling, a digression, or something else likely to cause your story to go into free fall. What can go wrong must go wrong, and then some. Here's a cognitive secret. The brain uses stories to simulate how we might navigate difficult situations in the future. Here's a story secret. A story's job is to put the protagonist through tests that even in her wildest dreams, she doesn't think she can pass. Charles Kettering said, no one would ever have crossed the ocean if he could have gotten off the ship in a storm. There's an old saying, good judgment comes from experience. Experience comes from bad judgment. The trouble is, bad judgment can be deadly; It can lead you to ignore the funny squeak every time you hear it you hit the brakes. Put off checking out that odd-shaped mole in your big toe. Decide to invest every penny with that clever guy who whose hedge fund always turns a hefty profit. Even worse, bad judgment can derail your social life, which is a much bigger deal than we often realize. As neuroscientist Richard Ristak says, We are social creatures. The need to belong is as basic as our survival, as our need for food and oxygen. So, since there are countless tricky situations in which good judgment comes in awfully handy, often the best, not to mention safest, experience to learn from is someone else's. Could this be where story came from? It's a question neuroscientists, cognitive scientists, and evolutionary biologists spend a lot of time pondering, considering that the brain is always working overtime to figure out what's safe and what isn't. Why would it permit us to put, a, put the oft sneaky real world on hold and get lost in a story? The brain never does anything it doesn't have to. So, as neuroscientist Michael Gazaniga notes, the fact that, quote, there seems to be a reward system that allows us to enjoy good fiction implies that there is a benefit to the fictional experience, unquote. What is the benefit, survival wise, that led? to the neural rush of enjoyment a good story unleashes, effectively disconnecting us from the otherwise incessant storm, und drang of daily life. The answer is clear. It lets us sit back and vicariously experience someone else's suffering. The slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, the better to learn how to dodge those darts, should they ever aim to be aimed at us as stephen pinker says in a story the author places a fictitious character in a hypothetical situation in an otherwise real world where ordinary facts and laws hold and allows the reader to explore the consequences Unquote. "these were wired Since we're wired to feel what the protagonist feels as if it were happening to us, when it comes to experience, this is as close as we're going to get to having our cake and eating it too. Which of course is precisely the point. This means the protagonist is a guinea pig and whether we like it or not, guinea pigs suffer so we don't have to. But although guinea pigs have PETA to to champion their rights, protagonists are on their own, and trouble really is their middle name. For example, cognitive psychologist Keith Oakley and Raymond Marr write, A difficult breakup between a literary protagonist and his or her beloved cannot help but lead us to explore what it would be like were we in the same position. This knowledge is an asset when the time comes for us to cope with such an event in our own lives. The catch is, your protagonist really, truly does have to suffer. Otherwise, not only will she have nothing to teach us, but we won't have much reason to care about what happens to her either. Like everything in life, this is much easier said than done. Than done. That's why in this chapter we'll explore why you're actually doing your protagonist a favor by setting her up for a fall or three or four why in literary fiction the protagonist must suffer even more than in a commercial potboiler how to make sure your protagonists trouble builds and why some writers find it impossible to be mean to their protagonist finally Will go through 11 devious ways to undermine your character's best laid plans.